Hey everybody, it's Joe Trippy, and welcome back to a Thanksgiving week edition of That Trippy Show. This week, we have a special guest I'm really excited to talk to. My friend, John Delavope, director of polling at Harvard's Institute of Politics and author of Fight, How Generation Z is Channeling Their Fear and Passion to Save America. He wrote an article this week in the New York Times, Republicans Fear the Young. And I knew I wanted to have him on the show to talk about that. John, welcome. Uh, it's great to be with you, Trippy. Thanks so much for having me. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Yeah. Listen, I want to let our, uh, our listeners in on something. John and I go back to a, a foreign campaign overseas in Greece in 1993. That's right. Where John was doing the polling and strategy work, and I was doing message strategy TV kind of stuff for Andreas Papandreou's like comeback campaign against the incumbent uh, uh, prime minister at the time, Mitsutakis, who who had hired Carvel Bagala, uh, Mary Madeline, and uh, the the prime minister had anyway. John, I, John, I mean that was like seems like uh, in a lot of ways eons ago. But man, that was like one of the greatest victories. I mean, I, I think that I, I've experienced in, in politics uh, to win that one with you. And, and uh, we go back that far, folks. So anyway, I, I just wanted to, to let you in on that and then get to this, this really important piece, I think, that John wrote. Alex, where do you want to get started? I, I want to ask both of you, because you guys go go way back with, with kind of this idea that, and I think this will frame our discussion really well. John, we'll get into your article. We'll get into how you thought kind of Gen Z showed up this year and what it all means. But you guys are both the type of people that when given the chance to either follow a mold or break it and kind of start over, you guys are, you break it. And you find new ways to win, you find new tactics, you invent things. So in, in the lens of 2022, is there anything where you guys thought, both of you thought, whoa, this is, this is a break the mold moment that could change things long term? Any kind of sparks that you saw? That's my first question. You know, Alex, I mean, I think that's one thing that's kind of drawn me to to Joe over what now 30 years, Joe, right? Is yeah. is just yeah. the 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 failure to recognize and to automatically believe in, in traditional conventional wisdom, right? All the way back to being undercover as we were actually, right? In yeah. Athens, yeah. in Athens, yeah. Greece, right? So they didn't know that American consultants were engaged in that. And that's been kind of a through line, I think, Joe, of your career. And myself not ever focused my business primarily in Washington, DC. You know, being based um, up here in Massachusetts, I think has enabled me to try to see politics through kind of a different lens generally, but specifically over the last couple of decades through the lens of um, of younger Americans. And when I started the Harvard Project back in 2000, there was no such thing in American politics as a generation gap. There was a gender gap. There was a race and ethnicity gap, but the gender, but the generation gap didn't exist. So the ability to track both a millennial generation and now Gen Z over well over 100,000 interviews, having that perspective, part one, not buying into the traditional conventional wisdom, part two, and then seeing things during this cycle beyond even young people that made me question the wisdom of looking at this cycle through the traditional lens. For example, 
um, despite the fact that we had land war in Europe, despite the fact rising gas prices, inflation, supermarket shootings, school shootings, et cetera, et cetera, the horse race, the NBC horse race, horse race from a year ago, October to a year ago, this October changed by one point over the course of one yep. year. Right. Yep. So to me, that felt like, you know, this was this was going to be outside. There were other factors in play, specifically Trump and Trumpism and MAGA and young people that could have a larger than expected impact on what happened a couple of weeks ago. So, John, let me. Let me get one thing though, and I don't think this is conventional wisdom. It's just uh, I want to probe something that that I think is maybe an echo that's going on uh, from the past. You know, I remember. I mean, that's part of the. It's it's looking outside of Washington and you know all that, but it's also you know the experience of being around since the late seventies doing this uh, for me. And what I remember, you know, about the Reagan Revolution in 80, in the early 80s, was how it somehow attracted young people at the time. I mean, people started registering Republican, you know, in those younger uh, age groups. And, you know, I don't think it's necessarily the same anymore that when you, you know, that you're loyal to that party for the rest of your life if you if you register early like that. But I do think that Democrats lost a lot of that generation at the time to that period where Reagan was attractive and and got people to move away from the party Democratic Party and join Republicans at a, at a, at a younger age, and what I'm wondering now is a you know and, and by the way there was sort of a generation gap back then I mean for a little bit of of a time I remember younger voters you know there was a they were voting more Republican although a lot of people were at the time but that's my point they they mm-hmm. got engaged and stayed there. I really wonder whether what's going on now, and by the way, and I know, and we'll talk about this, the Democrats have to work for this and make it happen. But I do think that the Republicans are on the verge of losing these, this generation forever. I mean, like not, they, not that they'll be Democrats for the, for the rest of their life, because that's where they leaned you know, in this election, but that they know what, what party they're not for. And, mm-hmm. and and I wanted to get your your take on that. Are, is is that a possibility that that as this generation in their early their first you know votes as adulthood come into this you know the MAGA you know seeing what the hell these how crazy these people are uh, particularly on this a generation that cares more about other people's rights as as well as it cares about their my, their own personal right they care about other people. I just want to get your take on all that. Yeah, I, I think I think a couple of points. One is I think you're exactly right about the the young people, the Gen Xers, really, right, who came of age and, and early and younger boomers during the Reagan Revolution. They have been the swing vote, you know, um, relatively small, but the swing vote, you know, less Republican than older baby boomers. They're tending right now, but they've essentially held on to those values, you know, since they came of age during Reagan. Um, and I think the exact same thing is happening with both millennials and Gen Z. Like collectively, millennials and Gen Z will represent 40% of the electorate in, to- in 2024. They were nearly that large in this in the in the 2020 uh, election. And I think that the National Republican Party hasn't made an honest attempt 
to speak to, to or to engage with now two generations of voters, arguably since George Bush, where he won 45% of the youth vote against, uh, against Kerry in 2004. And every single day, we see an older, more conservative, whiter member of the electorate aging out, passing away, to being replaced by a young, more progressive in their values, young person whose values align with the current version of the Democratic Party. And to me, I think even over the last couple of weeks, rather than Republicans listening and trying to engage, they seem to be ignoring or mocking the stress points um, and the anxieties and the values of what makes young people so focused on I'm participating in politics today. So it's kind of like, and and you probably saw this too, but in the last couple of weeks, one of the reactions that national Republicans had to some really shocking or stunning, I should say, youth vote numbers was, what if we just raised the voting age, you know, 21, 25, whatever it was. And it, it, it was kind of kind of met with some, obviously a lot of scorn nationally, but, but I think people need to realize there's this there's always been this kind of power is slipping away just demographically both in terms of losing white voters you know having more diversity in the electorate also age diversity and the party in the last 10 years has just kind of viciously tried to hold on to this power do you guys see the same kind of thing happening with their reaction to young voters if given the choice between hey what should we say to actually bring them into the fold versus do everything we can to hang on to what we have and and marginalize them to hold on to power longer or is someone going to wake up and say we got a big problem guys listen right what's happened over the last uh three, four cycles since Gen Z. Uh, 2018 changed so many things, I think, in terms of how I think about uh, young people, the combination of Gen Z maturing to the voting age with uh, the the work, the real work that an inspiration that Parkland March for Our Lives group achieved with Trump. The combination of those three things, I think, has, has set us on a very, very different course where Democrats would typically win the youth vote by 10 points, more or less, right? But now they're winning it by by 20 points. In the case of Mark Kelly and Fetterman, close to 50 points, right? So that's the trajectory we're on. And if it continues to be like that, with two generations accounted for 40% of the electorate, far greater than baby boomers in the next cycle, I think the current version of the Republican Party will be regionalized at best, at best. And what's interesting, I think, about this conversation is the first time I actually testified, I guess the only time probably, in, a, in front of a congressional committee was actually at the, at the um, request of, of one of my former students, Elise Stefanik, when she was a new member working with a Republican policy committee interested in understanding the future of young voters. In those days, I don't remember exactly what year it was, but certainly many years ago before the Trump era, there seemed to be a real thirst among moderate Republicans to understand the millennial electorate, understand their values, and try to not just listen to folks like myself, but folks from kind of across the spectrum of disciplines to to try to engage with them. And that obviously does not seem to be a priority right now for most of of the Republican Party that I'm familiar with. Well, I mean, part of that problem, though, is that they that it's the same problem they have with Trump. Um, if they toss off 
uh, Trump's MAGA supporters and try to like uh, you, you know move against that and 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 moderate. Uh, I guess be the rhinos that or what they would call rhinos. Uh, those voters aren't going to be there for them. And at the same time, if they if they try to you know to moderate, I, I mean, it's just I think I, I guess what I'm trying to say here is how that you can't be trying to you know a, a, a generation that cares about other people as mm. much as these these do that is has been really in a completely different way indoctrinated or how, not indoctrinated but but been impacted you know so horrendously by gun violence and get to that how do you you know you can't be the the AR15 champion party and somehow appeal to, to to this generation i mean and not just that but on the rights of women on on the homophobia the the racism that they have to to appeal to to keep those base voters energized which is what the, which is the only way they've held on as long as they have and, and presented such a danger to the country's democracy but i just don't see how they bridge that i mean do, do you i mean is there is there any trends that would show that they i mean i understand democrats could screw up and, and not address some of these you know these issues uh in a way uh that that matters uh but but i don't see how republicans get there from here I'm, no because uh because it starts the way i think about it it starts with values right it, beyond partisanship beyond which party right. it starts around values and there seems to be a just major kind of misalignment on the values of young Americans, specific, even even young Republicans, by the way, right, have a very different set of values than their than their parents and their grandparents right. on, on a host of issues. But Joe, it starts with with just, you know, thinking about Thanksgiving, like talking to your kids, listening to the other members within your community. And when you ask the question, and I've asked it dozens of times, what what doesn't our generation, older people, understand about your generation, Gen Z? More often than not, I'd hear questions, I'd hear responses like the woman from Ohio State that I, I spoke to a few years ago. She said, the way in which your generation thinks about paying bills, taxes, the stock market, like the, the seriousness that you attach to those issues, that's the way we think about living and dying every single day. Specifically, every single day we walk into a classroom at our auditorium or store. That's the weight that we're carrying. And unless we're able to take a step back from our politics and actually engage in conversations like that, you know, Republicans won't have a have a chance. I don't think to 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 win enough votes to make them competitive on a national basis. Period. Alexa, create a radical ad for my campaign. Okay, let me write you a sensationally unoriginal ad. Don't let AI butcher creativity. Unify over 100 content creation services under a single hourly-based plan with Bunny Studio One. Speed up production with our platform's quality-vetted video editors, voice artists, designers, and writers. Our humans get your projects done. No tedious coordination needed. Get your 10-hour free trial at bunnystudio.com start. John, I'm, I'm going to read a quote from your Times piece, and I, I hope our Republican strategists who are listening to this don't listen to this part. But you said, and I, I thought this was really good, 
many of the young men and women who voted for Democrats this fall have a complicated relationship with America. They've been told of our exceptionalism, but rarely experienced it themselves or seen our nation united. Their brightest political memories are when the powerful protect and defend the vulnerable. And then you go on with a few examples, but that kind of complicated relationship is, is kind of what you're getting at there. And what I've realized, I was expecting, I, I, you know, I, after every single semester, I've been doing this, as I said, for 22 years, after every semester, I spend most of the summer traveling, conducting town meetings and focus groups. And I, I just offered up an anecdote from, from one of them. What I realized was understanding Gen Z was that I think kind of the key differentiator in terms of are you a millennial or a Gen Z is, do you have a, a vivid memory and experience in 9-11? If the answer is no, then you're likely to be, you know, fall within the kind of this Gen Z category mm-hmm. and generation, okay? And, and influenced by the collective experience. And we can go through that collective experience, which goes from the recession to school shootings, to lockdown drills, to opioids, depression, suicide increases, to climate strike, to Floyd, to COVID throughout that. And during that experience of the last 15 years, this generation does not have a memory of our country being united. Like a millennial will remember 9-11, but they'll mm-hmm. also remember September 12th and 13th, right? When all of us, regardless of where we lived, what party hung the American flag as a show of unity and support. This generation doesn't. So that is a, a, a just an incredibly important perspective, I think, for all of us to kind of engage. And when I ask them in focus groups, what's the time when you're most proud to be an American? It's a really challenging question. It takes moments and moments. Look at look at people look at each other. Oftentimes it's an example of a sporting event, international friendly between the US and someone else. But more often than not, it goes back to 2015 when the rights of members of the same of LGBTQ community were recognized by the Supreme Court allowing uh, same-sex marriage across each of our each of our 50 states in DC. It's the expansion of rights not taking things away. So you know I mean that's like it's very that's fascinating because you know if you think through I mean when I you know I was, came up hiding under desks, you know, doing nuclear bomb drills, right? And then you have Reagan and the wall comes down. And that was all this, that's what I'm saying, you know, that, that experience of, uh, and why that, you know, sort of gets to why Reagan was so, and that time was so attractive to young people, uh, that had gone through some of that. Um, but I think that's what you're talking about though, even though this generation feels that, I mean, that they, they, they have a hard time coming up with that moment. I also think that the rest of America is finding it farther and farther away from the last time they felt that way because of how divided we are. So it's in a lot of ways, it, we have to solve that, not just for Gen Z, but for, for the country. How do, we, how do we pull people together? And it, and, it, and it clearly is, I do think, that they've, they're showing the way. Uh, in other words, it's, it's about expanding rights, not, not taking them. And then, and then this gets back to why I think the Republicans, and I'm sure you two are in such big trouble because they're still they're still going trying to go back and take rights and make it tougher to vote and you, you know all the things that are, are are anathema to this generation and its values. But I also think those this generation has 
as a way to extend those values to the rest of America to to pull us together. I really I really feel like like you know th- we're getting to a place where when you look at I think John maybe correct me if I'm wrong but people under 40 Democrats won and a lot of pro democracy candidates won and then over 40 years of age you know more mega candidates uh, got those th- those votes than Democrats. So as you point out that uh, th- that older group is particularly you know the 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 more the more stalwart uh maga folks you know there's going to be a passing of the guard here and this younger generation and its values hmm. are really important to understand and how and how democrats can i think those values are are can be expanded to others in the electorate i guess is what i'm saying saying i don't know if you agree with that i i completely agree and and although we clearly are divided 50 50 in this country i think a more accurate way to think about that is really we're we're divided you know two-thirds of folks under 40 vote a certain way and a majority of folks over 40 vote another way to put a finer point in what you just said you know uh according to the so the exit poll analysis i've been doing for the last couple of weeks voters over the age of 40 supported uh republicans by 10 points you know there were nine points more supportive of Republicans than they were in 2018, last midterm election. On the other side, the Gen Z and millennial voters under 40 support Democrats by 18 points, right? By 28, and it was by 28 points among the youngest under 30 cohort. So that's a 28 point, 18 to 10, that's a 28 point generation gap. It's one of the most profound differences we see across the entire electorate right now. There's always been more, more in that older group uh, in terms of voting than in in the younger group, but that that margin makes made up for that. But as we get you know it, you know two years, four years, et cetera, from now, that if that gap persists, it's going to be be a major sea change, you know, in results. Uh, if, again, if Democrats can uh, do the right. work to to uh, to continue this, right, because it transcends. Just the last point. It transcends borders, right? It's right. It trans- there's a, a young person elected to Kentucky has far more in common with a young person elected to Massachusetts than than they ever are and they ever have. When I when I did analysis for the book, the only significant states with electoral population that Trump would have won among the under 30 set was Tennessee and Indiana. Biden won all of the other states. Um, and that's just a, a, a preview of what's to come. Among uh, younger people who are white in this last l- election, exit polls say 58% voted Democrat. A majority of younger people who are white without a college education voted Democrat, according to the exit polls um, a few weeks ago. So, guys, and, and we're running short on time, but I wanted to get to one more macro question for, for both of you, which is how do Democrats keep this momentum up? And make sure this wasn't just a reaction to some of these big events, John, that you mentioned the last couple of years. I mean, you see this kind of in a shift in House leadership, where it looks like it's going to be Hakeem Jeffries, obviously getting a lot younger. But you know, the majority of Democratic leadership is still just as old on the as, as on the Republican side. Joe Biden's our oldest president ever now, I think, at eighty. So, what does that look like in terms of what Democrats need to do to kind of continue both upping their margins, keeping people engaged, and, and and also keeping these people that voted for them in record numbers this year? I feel like for the first time in 
the 20 something years I've been focused on this for the very, very first time, I feel like kind of the institutional members of this party understand that younger people were a critical factor of why they have the job that they have. So I, that, that's a really important step. And I think we can see that um, from the way in which the White House has both delivered on the policies that young people care about, bipartisan gun reform, um, mm -hmm. legislation, climate, student loan debt, et cetera, but also the way in which they're um, working with the relational organizers and providing them access to the administration, the policies, et cetera. So the idea is that every single day, a new member of the electorate turns 18, and we cannot take them for granted. The most important message I have for, 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 for Democrats or anyone really listening is to, to win young voter support. It's about building relationships, not transactions. Okay, so the reason that student debt was so critical, I think it's because President Biden promised it when he was running, right? So you promise it, you deliver it. That's how you build a relationship, um, guys, that I think extends beyond a campaign cycle and is about um, building a, a, a party over the long term. You know, I also think it's about empowering, giving, empowering them, um, you know, about providing the platform that that to build that relationship again what you're saying the administration's been doing i mean it, it you know when in the in the dean campaign we started something called generation dean which was like its own independent platform we just we did, we kept our hands off of it and said hey hey guys it's your generation connect with each other pull it together give us ideas and man they did and i think that that's again in i'm i'm sort of more focused now seeing you know reading your book john and seeing what what people and just what you were seeing out there it's almost like this generation has an amazing power if we give it to them to really affect the movement forward on rights on climate change on gun violence i mean you know in in terms of their ability to message and talk um to their parents to their i mean you know again to their coworkers etc i just think if we we need to as a party, empower them to be, be from the ground up, building this, this movement towards the future and turning away from from what MAGA and, and the Republicans want to do, which would make it even tougher for Republicans uh, to come back from this. Yeah. And, and I, I spoke extensively in the book about the lessons that I learned and so many other folks learned from from your work with with uh, Governor Dean in 2003, 2004. Right. And, but it must be to me, it's like rewarding to see now another generation essentially kind of using, you know, if not the specific tools, right, but that that sense of empowerment to take things to to a new place is this urgency that this generation has that even the most millennials, I don't think, were, uh, possessed back a, a generation ago. But it's all about empowerment um, from the top down as well. Um, that's how you to to really boost the, the, the uh, activism from the bottom up. So guys, that's just about all the time we've got. Joe, anything else you wanted to hit before we... Yeah, I wanted just I just wanted to ask John, you know, there's been a couple of our... I mean, I don't know, there's a couple of things going on out there. For some reason, uh, there seems to be some kind of like conventional wisdom put down of how big or important uh, the, the Generation Z, you know, vote, the younger vote was in this election. I don't understand where that's coming from or why I wanted to... One, if you had any insight into that, and then second one, similar, is the same thing about you know uh, argument about whether polling was 
was right or wrong about this, you, you know, about 2022. And I just, uh, you know, quickly throw those two out there to see if you have any any thoughts, closing thoughts be, before we sign off. Yeah, uh, thank you. I think just r- real quick, I kind of like to keep things pretty simple. And as I said, two thirds of the electorate is over the age of 40. They voted for 10 by, by, for Republicans by 10 points, by 10 points, okay. The only way Democrats are even competitive, if not expanding potential to expand the Senate, is by extraordinary efforts, both in terms of participation, as well as, as support for Democrats among the younger cohort, which is only a fraction of the uh, over 40, over 45 cohort. The idea of folks who are spinning uh, an alternative set of facts around relative registration rates, you know, to me, um, we'll see um, what that brings. But I don't see any indication that young people took a significant step back in their level of participation. 2018 was record levels. It doubled the participation, the average of the last 40 years. I'm not sure we'll get that high, but we will likely get very close to that in most battleground states One. On the issue of polling being right or wrong, you know, I think the the high quality, the big three media polls were pretty right on. As I talked about, I think CBS did a tremendous job with their tracker. And a week before the election, they said that only way in which Democrats have a have a chance at this house if if we see increased participation from from younger folks. So a good consumer of polling will see. We'll see that, and, and hopefully uh, in the future, we'll be able to cut through what I do believe was a, uh, a concerted effort by the right wing to quote, flood the zone. I know that's a complicated topic. I know you've spoken to Simon about that and Tom and others, but that's the fact. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, no, I think Simon Rosenberg and Tom Bonnier were you know, uh, covering that and, and pushing back on the, the phony red wave polls but, and deserve a lot of credit for, for trying to knock down that narrative. But it was also amazing how how many people who should have known better fell for it. I, that's still uh, still uh, I, that's I, it. just crazy, including on election day. Yeah, and just yeah. And, the, and, the, and and the thing, the last point on this is Joe Trump changed so many things for so many people. It's just a different country and a different electorate. I just don't think that traditional conventional wisdom that we could have applied to other races that looked like this on paper apply anymore. That's right. to me the bottom line. Well, no, that was the whole thing. The, one of the, the first things I thought was like, hey, guys, we haven't had a normal election in six, in at least three or four cycles. Right, so right, why right. was this one going to be some normal, you know, the usual midterm election just never made any sense to me at all. And there were plenty of signs, and we've talked about this on this show, plenty of signs all along the way of, you know, increased participation, outperforming Biden's numbers and different, you know, specials, et cetera, Kansas being another right. one increased registrations of women. I mean, just all kinds of things that should have said, hey, you know, stop with the red wave, you know, flag waving here. Listen, uh, John, thanks so much. I mean, I, I again, going back to 93, when uh, when we were basically told if anybody found out that we were working uh, there, we'd be fired. So <laughs> it was like, I still have like so many great memories of that that campaign. And, and uh, we don't talk about it much. Uh, because of that, but uh, but it was a a great win, and John was instrumental and has been throughout the thirty or so years uh, since, or more than that probably that I've I've known him. But uh, somebody I I go to to understand what's happening uh, when he's looking at polls and focus groups. And this generation, there's no one better. We're gonna put in our show notes uh, the article 
uh, that John just uh, was in the New York Times and, and a link to the book. If you haven't uh, read either, you should, should uh, highly recommend both. Thanks, John, for coming on. Thanks, everyone, for listening to that trippy show. And I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving when you hear this. Um, John, where can listeners find your, you on social and uh, find your work? Yeah, uh, thanks. Uh, on social, at Delavolpe, D-E-L-L-A-V-O-L-P-E. On Twitter, Instagram, everywhere, it's at Delavolpe. And uh, all the Harvard IOP polling is online at iop.harvard.edu. And I post a lot of work from the business at, uh, at socialsphere.com. So uh, it's great to see you, and I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, no, thanks. Thank you for, uh, for all the work you're doing. And uh, keep us on this, and we'll have you back. I'm sure several times between now and, and 2020, 2024. Just a reminder before you go, this podcast is now part of Resolute Square, which is a, a new force in the fight against autocracy in the Fox News media machine. If you listen to this podcast, you've heard Joe talk about uh, the need for it and, and why we're building it. Um, don't forget, go check it out. Sign up. It's at ResoluteSquare.com slash trippy. You can find out everything you need to know. Uh, who's going to be part of it. Uh, it's Joe, Reed, Rick, Stu, and the Lincoln Project guys. A bunch of really cool contributors. A um, couple big announcements this week. So don't forget, check it out. That's ResoluteSquare.com slash trippy. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy the rest of the holiday weekend. We'll be back next week. Estás atrapado en el tráfico. Pero luego hay una recompensa para ti, una modelo, la marca de los luchadores. Mantienes la calma a pesar de las bocinas, las largas filas y los gritos. ¡Muévete! Así que al llegar a casa, sírvete esta dorada y refrescante lager, porque tú sabes que tu paciencia vale oro. Tú eres un luchador y esta es tu recompensa. Modelo, la marca de los luchadores. Todo con medida importada por Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois.